Happy Monday, everybody. Happy March. Welcome back to another episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. Regular season basketball is done. It is all postseason basketball from here on out. Where does Xavier sit? Well, Rick Broering, here is where they sit going into the Big East tournament this week. Again, not ranked in the AP poll to finish off the regular season. Didn't get a vote. Ken Palm, they're down three spots from last week to 51. The net, they stayed the same. They're 36. Bracket Matrix, they've dropped down to an 11 seed. And uh, Bart Torvik gives them about a 62% chance to make the tournament, which is down from about 98% like three weeks ago. They are on the right side of the cut line. Depends on who you talk to, whether Xavier has work to do. This week uh, in Madison Square Garden, you would like to see Xavier beat Butler to give themselves at least some breathing room. But Xavier did snap the five-game losing streak after a up-and-down week last week, got blown out by St. John's at Carneseca, but came back to handle Georgetown pretty easily, especially in the first half. Xavier got six kills in the first half, one of their highest-scoring halves, if not their highest-scoring half in, in a long, long time, 97 points, which I think was the highest-scoring game of the season for Xavier and quite honestly, it was a game that Xavier needed. I know it was against lowly Georgetown, but it's kind of like when you're in a shooting slump and you just need to see a layup go in to get your confidence back. That was the feeling that I got from Saturday night at Cintas. If there was a boycott, it didn't work very well because the crowd was great. There was a lot of energy in the building. Uh, it was, a, I don't know if it was officially a sellout, uh, sellout, but I didn't see many open seats anywhere. Paul Scruggs got a great ovation. What were you going to say? Uh, I would disagree. I thought the lower bowl was kind of sparse. I mean, I would say it was probably only about 70% full, 60% full on the lower bowl, a lot of missing seats, but the crowd was great. I mean, the crowd was, the people that yeah. showed up were really, really good. Yeah. Well, I, I always, I always go back and forth on the, on the lower bowl because I know like half the lower bowl has access to the Joseph club and like some of the other spots. And then some of them don't end up coming down into their seats. So I always kind of go back and forth on like where those people actually are in the building or why, some Fair of them enough. pay for yeah. those seats and then stay up in the club. But either way, it, from the from the seats and from some of the expectations of, of maybe what we thought could be going into Saturday, I, I thought the crowd really showed out well on Saturday night. And it was it was loud. It was a good environment. And uh, especially for Paul and Nate and the other seniors there that, that were honored, uh, it was it was fun. It was a fun night. And, and like like we all said, it was nice to see Xavier see a shot go in and for Nate Johnson tied his career high seven made threes Adam Kunkel added three um and Jack Nungy the, the the ball was going in on Saturday Rick and for them going into the Big East tournament who knows how that'll translate but at least it was a positive note to go out on at home yeah I guess the question is how much of this was Xavier playing better and how much of it was Georgetown being god-awful and of course the answer is somewhere in between, you know, I mean, it was, I was a little bit of both. I mean, there is no doubt that Georgetown made Xavier look good. Georgetown being so poor defensively opened things up for Xavier on offense. They made decisions easier for Xavier on offense and Xavier executed very well at the same time. And I would specifically look more towards the defensive end in the first half for this Xavier played differently than they've been playing. They guarded the ball much better than they have in the last month. They put forth a better effort. They played tougher. Um, and, and part of it, I think, is they changed some lineups and they did some things differently, too. So we can get into all that. But um, in terms of the, like, is it worth talking about Xavier playing better or is this just the fact that they played one of the worst high majors in the country? I think there's, there's truth to both of those statements. 
Yeah, and the way that Xavier played in the first half, especially the defense in the second half, I don't think they got a kill in the second half. They had Correct. six kills yeah. in the first half. I don't think they got a kill in the second half, but it never got closer than 15. I know there was a couple of points where you could sense a little nervous energy going around and Georgetown made that 8-0 run and they cut it down to 15 and it was like, okay, if they hit another three, things maybe get a little interesting, but they never, they never really made a huge puncher's chance kind of a run at that game because to Xavier's credit every time they did try to hit a couple of shots Xavier came back and they had that alley-oop to Colby Nate hit a three uh so it, it never really felt like Georgetown had that sustained run in the second half because Xavier had that answer every time yeah I never worry about you know, a second half like that one where the game was never in question and you're in control by 15 to 20 the entire time, that's called human nature. You know, it's playing yeah. the score and it happens all the time. Now you can maybe argue the savior team shouldn't be having those let down, whatever. Okay, whatever. I mean, you know what I mean? Like they played really well for the first half. They got after it. They did all the things they needed to do. And then they put it in cruise control a little bit defensively for sure. And you can argue you would, you'd like to see them not do that. Uh, but I, I thought it was, it was a good performance. It was the type of performance they needed to put forth. And that doesn't mean they were perfect. And it doesn't mean it, that it leads to a win over Butler, or it means that they've, they've shaken themselves out of this funk by any stretch of the imagination, but it does mean that they looked better than they had against St. John's or any of the previous games. Really? Uh, Let's talk about the lineup a little bit, because one thing that we saw is Zach Fremantle continued to struggle. He really didn't play well early in this game, which led to him only playing six minutes in the first half. And I mean, just as a result, they really didn't play him much the entire game. They played the smaller lineup much more. And I thought they had a lot more success with the small lineup out there. Yeah. Zach ended up only playing 15 minutes in the game and Jerome Hunter only played eight minutes in the game. It was a definitely a, a switch and, and a shift from what we had seen out of some of the lineups over the last few games. Now, Zach did sit for the second half in St. John at, at uh, Carneseca, St. John's. He sat for a, most of that second half. And then you saw that translate over into this game. And then Zach ended up only finishing with four points, two or three from the field, a rebound and one assist. And he had four fouls in those 15 minutes. I asked Travis about it after the game and I was kind, kind of trying to, phrase in a way to give him the out of was it just a lineup thing because Georgetown went small and they were playing four smaller players and then at, at one point they were playing five smaller guys with Holloway playing the, the center for him as a 6-6 wing forward type player or was it more about hey th this smaller lineup is really more effective for you guys right now and it dates back to not just this game but you know the second half of Carneseca like you just said and he pretty much answered, no, I think this lineup's playing better right now than, than our other personnel is. So I think from that perspective, it gives you some hope as a Xavier fan that the coaching staff realizes that it's difficult to play those two bigs together right now. Zach and Jack being on the floor together has made life difficult on the defensive end. And Zach's struggles specifically has made it difficult for everybody because there, yeah. he's just a weak link out there right now defensively, if we're being honest, and he's not giving you nearly enough offensively to make up for it. So it helps that Colby Jones is playing really well, and he had another good game here against Georgetown. I think, you know, there's two things that I've seen from Colby that I really like. One, he's playing with confidence, and whether he's a good shooter or not, I can't tolerate guys sometimes shooting open looks, sometimes not being confident enough to kind of like, 
second guessing themselves, not stepping into it with confidence. If you're going to be a guy who's going to take an open three and look, I believe Colby Jones should limit his three point shot attempts. I don't think he should just be letting it fly like with a neon green light. But if you're a guy who's going to shoot an open three, you have to believe you're going to make it and shoot it every time you have to step into it with confidence. He's starting to do that. And then the other thing is he's been very decisive, which I think goes along with confidence. And it doesn't mean just shooting an open three when it's open. It means when you catch the ball and there's some space, you don't take a couple dribbles or look back out to the perimeter or a jab step. You immediately shoot into that gap and that space and you try to make a play for somebody. And I think that's what he's been doing a really good job of is just finding more openings because of his aggressiveness and his decisiveness. And when he slides down to the forward spot, as we saw earlier in the year, it can also create some matchup situations for opposing teams where they have to put a forward on him or they have to put a forward on someone else on the wing that leads to some easier shots on the perimeter. Yeah. He, and he finished with 16 points, six rebounds, seven assists, sort of kind of flirting with a triple double. Yeah. No turnovers, right? No, no turnover. He hasn't turned the ball over since Seton Hall. The last two games have been turnover free. And that's a big difference, too, because he had five against Seton Hall, I think, even though he scored he well did. in that game. And he yeah. had four against Providence, too. And that's been one of the things for him that he really needs to get in check is some of that decision-making stuff. And sometimes they're just silly turnovers with him where it's, he gets a little carefree or he just kind of gives a possession away because they're not valuing it quite enough. And it goes for the whole team. But he specifically is one guy who really should be better because he's starting to show signs of coming into his own and taking that next step as a player. And it's it's crucial to this team. They really need him to do that. And that's the fifth straight game. He scored 11 or more points. He's gone 11, 14, 20, 13, 16 in the last five games. That's, that's picking it up and playing your best when the team needs you the most as this season's gone along. And now here in the last five games and, you know, talking about going to that smaller lineup and keeping the ball movement moving around the court, 32 assists on 35 made field goals. That's crazy. That is. And, and Andy Mack asked coach Steele after the game about that. And have you ever seen something like that? And I think it was 19, the first 19 made field goals. 20. There was an assist. Was it 20? I think 20 is what I had. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was tracking so in the second half specific me and bomb were going back and forth. Like, I mean, how I, I didn't know. Are, if, I didn't, I saw bombs tweet. I didn't know if 20 was the one where it broke it or cause he tweeted 20. I couldn't remember if that was the one where it snapped or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, I don't know that I've ever seen that where the first 20 field goals of the game are all assisted. Now, again, part of that is the way Georgetown's defending, right? Like they're just kind of flooding to the ball, crashing, everyone's collapsing and Xavier's gotten some really easy decisions, whether it's they're driving and it's an easy dump off across the blocks to a wide open layup or it's drive and then the kickout guy is wide open on the perimeter and you get a really good look from three. A lot of that was happening. And I also thought Travis made a really interesting comment after the game. I, I asked him about, was it just execution? Was it the fact, because I thought one thing they did really well is they were making Georgetown guard multiple actions. Now they ran a ton of set plays in this and a ton of things that were called from the sidelines. I think because Travis and the staff knew Georgetown's not equipped to defend a lot of these things. If you really make them sit down and guard. And I thought they did a really good job of, okay, you run an action over on the first side of the floor. You reverse the ball, get it over to the second side of the floor, meaning going from right to left. And then you run another action to make them guard over here. And it seemed like that second action, third action, they would break down and you'd get a really good look. So I thought part of that was why Xavier was good. And I asked Travis, is was it mostly about that? Or was it guys just 
being in the right spots and spacing better. And he said a lot of it had to do with spacing, but he made an interesting comment about cutting. And he said, we were a lot more patient with our cutting and holding the corners, meaning guys were sticking in the corner longer, keeping a defender with them if they were a shooter, which led to more, a little bit more open space when they were trying to drive and make plays in the lane. And it also led to a situation where you, you had more clear decisions to be made because at times this year, he said, they've had two or three guys all cutting at the same time. They're trying to read and react and multiple guys are trying to cut at the same time. And then there's just not a clear decision to be made for the ball handler. It gets really murky in there when he's trying to make his read on the drive. So I thought that was an interesting comment from Travis that they were more patient with the cutting. It it seems like it would be the opposite. You know, if you talk to people about this offense, a lot of people say, oh, they don't cut enough. They don't set enough screens, all that type of stuff. But from Travis's perspective, it was actually, it was more the timing and the patience with which they were cutting that led to some of that great offense in this Georgetown game. I thought that was an interesting note. And I went back and was trying to watch the game for some more of that on synergy. And, and I saw some of what he was talking about. I was like, yeah, okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. And it's one of those things where, you know, we think we know so much and we're watching all these guys. It's like, this guy can't play and they're not doing the right thing here. And then a coach says something like that. And you just realize there's a few more layers to this stuff that we don't all put together as fans. Yeah, we're not understanding everything that's going on. We're not seeing everything. It's like he says that one thing and I go and back and watch it with that perspective and that mindset. And all of a sudden it opens up a few more things for me as I'm watching like, oh, okay, so that's what they're trying to do. Right. Like that makes more sense to me. And it's just a good reminder of like, we don't always know what we're talking about as much as we (laughs) care about this stuff. And we watch everything. And even you and I and bomb and stuff, we're in practices and stuff they still know more than we do. You know, there's still a little bit more to this than we're putting together sometimes. <laughs> well, and and to your point about cutting and getting to the rim, Xavier had six dunks in this game and they attempted 17 layups. They made 12 of them, but 18 of Xavier's 35 made field goals were at the rim. They're finishing better, 12 for 17 on layups, which was not the case against St. John's, especially in the first 10 minutes of that St. John's game where they just, I think they started one for eight on layups in that game. And it just felt like things were coming so much easier. And how many times on Saturday did we see somebody like Jack Nunji slip to the rim behind everybody and get a wide open dunk or find somebody cutting to the rim. Like you said, get a wide open dunk. I, I don't know how many alley-oop saver threw in the entirety of the season this year. And they had multiple in this game on Saturday. So it kind of just spoke to how well the guys were one seeing the court two how well they were communicating, knew what everybody was doing and playing like they really were more relaxed. Having fun is what it looked like to me. I think that definitely came through. I mean, I think part of it was you had Georgetown and guys were confident because of that. You had senior day going, which I think Nate Johnson really fed off of. He seemed to, you know, come into the game with the mindset of like, I want to show out. I want to do my thing in front of the Centos crowd. And he did. And once he got going, his teammates fed off of that. And I think that's another good point is like, how big of a deal was this game for Nate Johnson and Xavier? Because I don't think there's any denying at this point that they are a different team when he's shooting the ball well. Yeah, it's made seven threes. And the other thing, too, is he's now 3-0 and when his mom is in attendance at a game this year. So that's just something, a little minor storyline to keep an eye on at Madison Square Garden this week if we can get Mrs. Johnson out to yeah. Big Apple. 
make, make sure she's at all the games <laughs> the rest of the way. But I mean, to your point though, X is 10 and 0 when it makes eight or more threes in a game. The national yeah. average for three pointers is about almost seven and a half, right? So I mean, eight isn't like an unreasonable amount. That's what most teams make on an average. Xavier's 10 and 0 when they hit that basically national average or, or slightly above it. I it I don't want to make too much out of Nate shooting well in one game because it is Georgetown. He got some really clean looks. It was senior day and everything. But there is like this world in which Nate Johnson catches fire, starts playing like he was towards the beginning of the season, and we do see Xavier get a huge lift from that here in the Big East tournament. But think about, Rick, what we were saying like a month ago when Xavier was going through that horrible – before the UConn game, when Nate just couldn't hit a shot and – we were talking about how Xavier couldn't shoot, couldn't shoot, couldn't shoot. They've had so many struggles this year. Can't shoot the ball. Nate Johnson can't get hot. He was getting open looks in those games. You and I kept making the point on our podcasts about, hey, look, we don't know what we can fix in this offense because at some point guys are just eventually going to have to knock down the shots that they're getting. And maybe they weren't as easy as what he was getting on Saturday night, but there were a lot of shots when he was at his lowest point this year, shooting the basketball that were very uncontested three-point looks. And on Saturday, you're getting those shots, and they finally went down. And that's I, I think there is something to be said for that. I think there's a lot to be said for that, especially going into a game like Butler, where you see Butler play a little bit of a bigger lineup, and if Xavier starts to go small against Butler and try to move the ball and try to exploit Butler that way, which they've had a lot of success. They scored 87 points against Butler the first time they played. And it was much lower scoring, 68 points the second time. But you start to shoot the basketball well, and that's what they would need to do to beat Providence on Thursday. So to see one go in, if you're Adam and Nate, and Nate especially, that's huge. The only time we've seen this Xavier offense roll with any type of consistency and look successful over multiple games is when they were on a streak shooting the ball well and Nate was shooting it well. So again, that's not to say that it's going to be enough for Xavier to go out and win a Big East tournament or anything like that. But it is to say that could it make the difference in a game against Butler getting him back on track? Absolutely. I think it could. So I, I do think that was a big deal to see Nate shoot well like that again. And I think overall, just the, the flow you saw on offense combined with the way they guarded the ball in the first half defensively, we haven't seen that. We've seen guys get punked a little bit one-on-one. -on -one. We've seen them give up too many you know, career nights as, as Steele calls it because they just simply are unwilling to really strap in and, and guard for full possessions. And in this game, they did a good job of that, at least for the entire first half. And then the game kind of got out of hand after that. But I think the biggest question, question coming out of the Georgetown game and going into the Butler matchup is – what happens with their lineups? Like, do they go back to trying to force fee, especially because you're playing Butler, who, as you mentioned, is going to play a bigger lineup. You're going to see two bigs more often. Are they going to continue to try to force feed Zach and Jack in there together? Or have they turned a new page and just said, look, we're better with the smaller lineup out there. Let's just roll with that. I think I'm obviously in the camp of play the smaller lineup as much as possible. I think most Xavier fans are in that same boat. The question is, do they see it that way now after the last few games or not? Yeah, and now you have to turn the page pretty quickly and get into the Big East tournament on Wednesday afternoon, and you're playing in the very first game at 4.30. Uh, you know, I was going back 
yesterday and looking at some of my tweets from last year from the first week of the Big East tournament, and I was looking at how remarkably similar they were to this year because Xavier had swept Butler in the regular season. They needed to probably beat Butler to get into the NCAA tournament, and they were playing Butler on Wednesday at Madison Square Garden. And I legitimately was almost just going to retweet every single one of my tweets because <laughs> I was going to, I was like trying to type them all out to like save them in my drafts so I could tweet them on Wednesday. And I was like, every single thing that I tweeted from last year is almost word for word applicable to this situation this year. You know, the hard to beat a team three times. Well, actually it's not really the team wins the third one 71% of the time. So like all of those things are exactly the same as this year. And Travis mentioned it in his post-game press conference on Saturday night, he was saying, you know, I vividly remember sitting there in the locker room after that game. If you if you don't think that every single one of these players, Paul Scruggs, you know, Butler, all all of these players that are involved in this game don't remember last year, especially on Xavier's side. Like, yeah, that I, I think they'll uh, I, I think they'll have that one at the top of their heads. Well, you almost hope it doesn't work the opposite way against them, right? Like they psych themselves out and start to get that like, oh no, here we go again feeling. It's it's uh, deja vu, you know? I mean, Groundhog's Day type situation. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I totally agree with you. It's eerily similar and they clearly recognize that. I mean, Travis acknowledged it in the post-game press conference. So uh, there's no doubt they're going to be thinking about this, but I think you would agree that you like this path for X in terms of matchups. It really probably couldn't have worked out better because- I mean, they're definitely better off facing Butler than DePaul, I think we'll agree. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was talking to I was talking to somebody after the game on Saturday night in the in the media room, and I was saying the bracket, look, you have to get past Butler. You, you have to win the games in front of you, but the bracket could not have set up any better for Xavier if you asked it to. That really could not have because UConn, Seton Hall, Villanova, DePaul, St. John's, Every one of those teams is on the other side of the bracket. That uh, Creighton, Marquette, Providence, Butler. You swept Creighton. You beat Marquette once this year. You swept Butler, and you were one shot away twice against Providence. And if you don't think that Xavier wants to beat Providence more than any other team, maybe in this tournament, then uh, like I, I think Xavier setting up with the way that they're setting up now. Ideal time wise, it's awkward having to play at 430 and then turn right back around like 18 hours later and play at noon. That's a tough sell. But Providence hasn't played in 10 days. They were the only Big East team that had an off day on Saturday. Their students were on spring break and they're now 10 days removed from their last game. You know, Xavier lost to Providence in 2018 as the one seed. I, I just have to imagine that Xavier loves the way that this set up. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not to say, look, like we understand what's been going on with the Xavier team, right? They could lose to Butler and it could all be over very early Wednesday evening. And we're talking about other things. There's no question. But if you're asking for how would you hand select this bracket, given Xavier's current position, knowing that they were going to be an eight seed, how would you select that? I mean, it played out almost perfectly. Like if they could have been a seven, I don't think you would have wanted that. Like you don't no. want to play DePaul in the first round. And you don't want to play Villanova in the second round. You'd much rather play Butler and Providence. So again, it's not going to be easy. It's not to say that Xavier is going to win these games, but Hey, if, if they do continue playing better and, and get this thing moving in the right direction and Nate Johnson starts hitting some shots and 
I think this works out about as well as you could have asked for given circumstances. Yeah, I totally agree. And you look at Marquette on, again, they would have to get to Friday night, but we're here to, to talk all about it. So might as well Marquette. They have not been playing very well recently. Creighton has been playing very well and Creighton is right on the, on the cut line on the bubble where they need a win or two to feel confident. Probably just one win to feel really confident. Uh, but Creighton is, is the team that's been playing really well. Providence obviously won the big East. They're coming off that loss to Villanova. Al Durham didn't play in that game. I would assume he's going to play in this one. Uh, I haven't heard anything to the reason they just sat him out because they didn't have anything to play for against Villanova. So he'll, he'll be fine, rested and ready to play on Thursday afternoon. But there it's weird sitting here. It's really weird. I, I can't remember a time going into a big East tournament where I have felt like this, where I could be convinced that Xavier loses by eight on Wednesday to Butler because no shot went in and Butler, like they haven't won in two or three weeks, but they've at least kept it close. Besides the Villanova game, Butler has kind of messed around and, and kept it close in the last four or five games that, you know, they lost by eight to Marquette, but they had a chance against Seton Hall, lost by six, lost by one to Providence, uh, in overtime, but that was a game that Butler, like they completely, they blew that game. They were up, I think 19 in that game in the second half and lost that. And then the, the first one of that losing streak was the blowout to St. John's, but I don't know. I, it's like, it's, it's really weird to sit here and say, okay, Butler could win by eight and Xavier is back in Cincinnati by eight o'clock on Wednesday night or, Xavier could be playing on Friday for a chance to go to the Big East final. You could easily talk me into either scenario. Uh, it, it's funny. I had that exact same conversation today with Jim Kelch. We were at NKU shoot around here before the semifinals, of the horizon league tournament. And I was saying, Norse up. yeah, Norse up baby. I was <laughs> saying that it could very easily be a situation for me in which everything, the entire basketball season for me is done by Wednesday evening. Like, Either way, NKU, you know, if NKU isn't going to the NCAA tournament, their tournament is over, the Horizon League tournament is over Tuesday night. And then Xavier could play Wednesday afternoon. And like you said, it would not be a shock at all if Butler pulls off that win and everything is over. Or it could be a situation where Xavier plays the rest of this week. Then I turn around quickly, got to get ready for a first four game that I'm traveling to for NKU in the 16 game. Xavier could be playing a first four game as an 11 seed. And like, <laughs> it just could be pandemonium for the next couple of weeks leading right up to the day I get married. It, it's going to be a fascinating, like next 72 hours to see how my life is going to play out for the next two weeks. <laughs> but you're, you're exactly right. I mean, it's just, it's so weird this time of year, how abrupt, the end of the season comes up on you. And with the Xavier team, there really is no, I mean, they are right on that cut line. They are right in the, in terms of like, if they're going to be able to win any of these games, it's a total toss up. It's like, who knows? Could they? Absolutely. Could they also lose first round by double digits? Absolutely. We have no idea what we're going to get out of these guys. So I think you just got to do the, the best you can to break down what we've got. The one difference though, between this year and last year in terms of regurgitating old tweets is that Xavier is in a little bit of a better position this year than they were last year. There is a scenario, maybe small, but there is a scenario where Xavier loses to Butler and still plays in Dayton uh, in the first four last year, they had to beat Butler to get into the tournament. And that was pretty clear. 
and, and maybe would have needed a win two on Thursday. I think this year they have a little bit more leeway and there also, there also aren't as many potential bid stealers around uh, college basketball this year. Like uh, the WCC is a, a, a multi-bid league. It's not just Gonzaga. Uh, obviously you could have a Georgetown or an Oregon state do something like what they did last year, but barring anything really crazy like that, you know, Memphis maybe has now edged their way in, but looking at the bubble, it's kind of broken Xavier's way to the point where you could, I, I could be talked into Xavier playing in Dayton if they lose by two or three to Butler on Wednesday night, but it, it would be a long, long four days trying to figure out what what's going to happen for Xavier on Sunday night if they lose to Butler on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's exactly right. I've, you know, Dave, is it, I don't want to butcher his last name. Is it Amin or, you know, I'm talking about bracket, bracket guy, yeah. Dave, yeah, yeah, on Twitter. He is one of the best. If you go right back, bracket shout matrix. out his Twitter handle. Yeah. Yeah. Bracket guy, Dave. Um, if you go and yeah. you look on bracket matrix, they have all of the rankings th- for the last five years and they, they go by who has the best scores in terms of getting the, the number of, uh, seeds right on the bracket and all that stuff. So um, he is one of the best and has been for the last five years. He was tweeting publicly about some of this stuff and answering some Xavier fans. So I was retweeting all his stuff. I talked to a couple of other guys that I think do a pretty good job. And basically everything that I've read or that I've heard from these guys that I've talked to is Xavier's on the right side of the cut line for most of those guys right now. It doesn't seem like a loss to Butler would be advised. It, it might not rule them yeah. out completely, but all of them seem to say that would not be a good idea to lose to Butler. It, it adds another questionable loss. It keeps your win total down another game. And it does open the door for a couple of those other teams who are right on the bubble with somewhat similar resumes. Like I was even talking to some of them. They, they feel like Xavier's in a better p- position than Michigan right now, even though Michigan has some better metrics. Xavier has a slightly better resume, although very similar. Um, some of them were saying they thought Xavier was ahead of Michigan in terms of where things stood right now. So you don't want to give a team like that a chance to, to clearly move, move ahead of you. Um, also, a win over Butler seems like it would be enough based on everything we know right now. Now, it's possible that changes if things get crazy this week during conference tournaments. But like you said, there doesn't appear to be as many bid stealers out there this year. There's always the possibility, but it's more unlikely this year, it seems, than uh, in some years past. So kind of where things stand right now, the only other thing I would add to that is it, it sounds like if Xavier were to make an, a run and win the Big East tournament or get to the finals at least, probably the best case scenario they're looking at is an eight or nine seed is their upside. I don't think they can do any better than that. Probably a nine, maybe an outside shot at an eight, but it really doesn't matter much at that point. I'm going to just, let's have some fun here and throw this out to you, Rick, just because we've seen enough people on the board mention it. Would you rather play the eight, nine game to play the one seed next, or would you rather be the 11 seed maybe missing Dayton and have a chance to play the the sixth seed there and do what you did in 2017. I think the latter. I think I'd rather be the 11 seed. I, I, yeah. I eight nine to me was it would be like what I'd want to avoid at all costs. I think. Yeah, like a seven ten is with you. 
be, being the 10 seed, I think is much better playing the seven seed and getting a shot at the two. I did, I did, I, you don't want to play that one seed in the second round, in my opinion. And by the way, the eight, nine game is never an easy game in the first round either. Those are usually pretty good matchups. So yeah, I just feel like there's more goofiness that can happen if you're that 10 or 11 seed, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I'm with you. That's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, so let's take a look at the Big East tournament. Uh, we'll go, we're just going to motor through this here real quick. We'll have some fun with it. Uh, Big East tournament bracket. I will say uh, the game I'm most looking forward to uh, maybe in the first couple of days is uh, I, well, okay. Maybe not most looking forward to, but I think one that could kind of sneak up on you and be a good game is DePaul and St. John's. If they both play as well as they've been playing lately, that's the middle game on Wednesday afternoon. I'm really looking forward to watching that one. Uh, I'll I'll be there in New York for anybody that's there or listening right now that will be there at MSG. I'll be there. Uh, I'll be at every game all week long. So if you're there, come on, come around, say hey. Uh, but I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to that DePaul and St. John's game on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, I think that should be a really, really good matchup between two of the uh, lower tier teams in the conference, but they're kind of playing their best basketball at the right time. And both of them have enough talent to make it interesting. So I'm with you. That should be a fun game, but uh, I I'm having issues here with my Wi-Fi in the hotel. So if you've got the bracket up, do you want to run us through the games and I'll give you my picks as we go? Sure. First round uh, Xavier Butler on Wednesday. I will go with Xavier. I will also go with Xavier on that one. St. John's DePaul. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to take DePaul on that one. I'm going to go St. John's. Okay. Uh, Seton Hall, Georgetown. Do it, Rick. Seton Hall. <laughs> All right. I'll take Seton Hall too. Uh, Providence, Xavier. Providence. Are you going to call the upset, Paulie? Call your shot? I mean, what do you have to lose? I. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to say I'm going to say Xavier can do it and get to Friday. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it based on what I saw on Saturday and say that combined with how well they play at the Dunkin Donuts Center without Nate Johnson, a little more confidence from two straight wins. I'm going to say they can get past them on on now. Now, if somebody spills a beer from the overlook down onto the court yeah, and we have some there. some perspiration and things start happening on the court that I didn't account for then that's out of my control but if nothing funky happens which we can't rule out I'm gonna take Xavier uh Creighton Marquette Marquette really yes okay I'm gonna take Creighton just based on how they've been playing lately uh I don't, I don't disagree with you there. They're the hotter team, but I'm just a Justin Lewis guy. I'm going to go with the best talent in that game. Okay. Uh, Villanova and your uh, that for you, that would be Villanova and St. John's. Yeah, I'm going to go Nova there. Yeah, I'm going to take Nova too. I had to Paul, but I'm going to take Nova. Uh, UConn Seton Hall, which could be the best game of the day on Thursday. Yeah, that UConn, really... U, UConn back at the Garden against St. John uh, against Seton Hall at 9:30 on Thursday night is going to be insane. I really like this Seton Hall team better than UConn, if I'm being honest. But I feel like the Garden is go like I feel like UConn is really going to embrace the Garden. This is like what they wanted to get back for. Um, things are more normal this year. It's going to be rocking. I'm going to go UConn here. Yep, so am I. 
Uh, okay. Uh, for you, this is Providence Marquette for semifinal on Friday. I'm going to go Providence pulls it off and continues their magical run. Oh boy. Uh, okay. I will take, I'm going to take, uh, so for me, this would be Xavier and Creighton. Um, oh man. God, I just I think Xavier can beat Creighton if it gets to this point. If you're coming off wins over Georgetown, Butler, and Providence, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Creighton. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that they get back to to Saturday night. Um, I also think Creighton could beat Providence if that's the matchup too. Yeah, I think Providence could potentially lose to anyone. And quite honestly, I'm a little disgusted with myself for because I'm gonna end up being straight chalk here almost at the end, but. I also kind of love like picking Providence because everyone keeps talking about how they're going to get upset and how yeah. they're not that good. So I and kind it never of, happens. I feel like, I feel I like when everybody, like, won- yeah, yeah. Providence is the contrarian pick right now, even though they're the higher seed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then on the bottom half, that's UConn Villanova. I'm going to go with UConn. Yeah. I'm going to go Nova there. I, I, I really don't like this UConn team that much. If I'm being honest, I think they're too limited offensively. Okay, uh, and then your final would be Providence Nova. Yeah, I know, and this is brutal because it's like this is not the year that Nova should be winning the Big East. This is a very beatable Nova team. They have a glaring weakness inside, and yet here I am, and I can't pick Providence to win <laughs> to beat Nova in the finals. <laughs> and I, uh, I'm gonna go Nova wins it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say UConn wins it. I'm going to say UConn, even Over though they Xavier? just lost it. No, I had, I had Creighton beating. Okay. You did pull and, and on some. Yeah. On, on Friday. Uh, I'm going to say UConn beats, uh, Creighton on Saturday. Uh, I know UConn just lost to Creighton, but that was by two on dollar beer night, you know, <laughs> at, at Creighton, like that's a tough one to try and win on the road. I, I like that new analytic. Was it dollar beer night? Yes or no? That should be added into Ken Palm. Like, I, I'm, I'm not trying games, to play a, yeah. 1A games, B games, and uh, beer games. Do- dollar beer night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to play Creighton on dollar beer night. You got Steve Lavin in the house. You got the whole crew there. And you're going to go try and win a basketball game? Come on. You don't want to be playing in Omaha where there's nothing to do but drink cheap beer and watch basketball <laughs> on dollar beer night. I mean, that's just a yeah. bad, bad situation to walk into. So, yeah. So, I mean, that, and that's UConn's only loss since uh, February 11th against Xavier. And they have that win against Villanova slid in there. So, I'm going to pick UConn. I just think with them being back at the garden now with a full crowd, they played there last year, but it wasn't the same as what it's going to be like this year. And, and I think they get it done now at the same token every year. Look, it's kind of like going back to what I say about must win games. I feel like every year we do the same, same thing about, Oh, the biggest tournaments wide open. Oh, it could be anybody's tournament. Oh, it could. But for some reason I was looking back at past years where we've said that and really in the end, it's like, Oh, well, it's going to be Villanova again. And I feel like this year, like I could be talked into I could be talked into pretty much anything except maybe I, I don't see like a Georgetown doing anything like what they did last year. I think the league is too good for, to let something like that happen. Like could DePaul maybe 
I don't even I, like seeds DePaul and St. John's would be the two that you would pick. But by picking them, that would mean you would say that they, they would have to beat Villanova. That's just, I don't see that happening. And so when you look at it from that perspective, I, but I could be talked into Seton Hall beating UConn on Thursday night. I could be talked into Providence losing to Xavier on Thursdays. So, yeah, I think the big point there is that both Providence and Villanova feel beatable this year. And that's really what you're looking for is, and I'm the lame one who's picking chalk in the finals there and, and having Villanova win it all again, but again, which is like probably said, the smart pick. Yeah. One, one, I feel like it's the smart pick. And then two, again, I feel like it's almost the contrarian pick at this point because Providence is the luckiest team in the land. Uh, shout out to their wetness and shout out to cap, but <laughs> I, I don't. I, sometimes I think we try to get too cute with this stuff, and a lot of times the easy answer is probably the best answer. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll just ride with those two teams and see how it shakes itself out. Yep. All right, Rick. Well, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I mean, I, I will say one last thing we didn't hit on while we were talking Butler Xavier matchup that I did want to throw out there: the X factor for this matchup, the guy to watch, Simus Lukosius. Oh, I was gonna. Okay, I was gonna say the same thing. 13. However you say it. Come on. I I don't pronounce. I don't call games for the Big East. I call games for the Heisen League. So I have to (laughs) learn their pronunciations. But uh, he has scored 13 or more points in all but one of Butler's six Big East wins. He only reached double figures one time in their 13 losses. So, like, as when he gives them an extra shooter and score in their offense, it gives them a chance. And by the way, that one game that they, uh, that one other game that they won without him scoring well, Jair Bolden went off and had a big game shooting from the outside. He's now injured, obviously. And I don't know if he'll be back for this one or not, but um, that he makes a big difference. It, it, either him or Jaden Taylor or Jair Bolden, they need to get one of those three guys off from the outside to have a chance to beat Xavier, I think. Yeah. And that's that's the type of a guy that would drive Xavier fans up a wall if all of a sudden at 6.30 on Wednesday night we're sitting here talking about Seamus Lukosius going off for 25 points and an eight-point Butler win. Old man Lukosius's boy. Watch out for him. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, again, uh, to everybody making the trip to Madison Square Garden, New York, safe travels. 4.30 Wednesday, uh, noon on Thursday if they win, and then it would be the early game on Friday too. So it'll be uh, – Hopefully a fun week in New York and Rick, best of luck to your Norse. Uh, and uh, we'll see. I'll tell you what, next Monday, we'll see. We'll see where we are for the next 72 hours. We'll see who's dancing. If either are dancing on, on Monday, hopefully we have two teams in the dance next Monday afternoon when we record. That'd be great. All right. Thanks, Paul. All right. Thanks, Rick.